Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto Morales here. In the second part of this podcast on the struggle for ethnic studies in California, Francisco Lopez and myself continue our conversation with Sean Arce, Lupe Carrasco Cardona, and Elias Serna. In this part of the discussion, we get to the point of what ethnic studies is and why it is important not to lose sight of the charge to build Chicano studies. The question for the entire panel, how do we engage our own sacred Chicano documents to fulfill the charge of educating our community for self-determination? All right, so Lupe, is what you're saying then is that because we chose to include Arab American studies into yes. this bill, that threw the whole thing off? I will say yes, because I have actually been told um, several times, hey, do you think we could just like remove it and then, and then we can get it passed through? And we have said no. Right. The reason I bring that up is because there's so many similarities. Sean, in the beginning, talked about the Arsa case being used in a Muslim ban. And I see a lot of connections between our communities and it's the Palestinization of the Mexican. I don't know if that's a term that you all have heard before, but that's part of what's going on, right? The Palestinization of the Mexicans. I have a couple questions about this too. My questions don't revolve around whether or not necessarily a certain group belongs in or that they don't belong in. I'm kind of trying to understand the rationale behind including them, like right from the get-go. I mean, if we look at ethnic studies, right, as a discipline, I mean, it starts, you know, it pretty much has it started at San Francisco State University, you know, the, the student strike and all that. That history is, is fairly well known. Ethnic studies, for the most part, the way that it's been conceived in higher academia in the United States you know, is like Native American studies, uh, Chicano studies, Black studies, Asian studies. So my, my question is, again, I, I want to make it really clear. I'm not against it. I'm just trying to understand it. Why Armenians? Why Arabs? You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand the Asian, the Black, the Native, and the Chicano because we have a a long-term historical presence, some of us much longer than, you know, even some of the other ones. But, you know, you're talking a couple hundred years, several hundred years for a lot of people, but isn't necessarily true of Arabs or Armenians or any of these other people. So, yeah. So to be clear, like the Armenian, that's a whole separate, right? Like we did not, we were not like sort of pushing for the Armenian. And, but it's, so it's the Armenian question is an interesting one because Right now, what we're seeing, and this is something that I learned very recently, is that there's a whole young group of scholar practitioners of young Armenian Americans who are progressive left-leaning, who are even like with how they had to leave their country and like the diaspora have been like oppressed peoples. And so there's a whole argument for why Armenian American studies, right? Not Armenian studies, because what I've learned recently is Armenian studies is actually a very like right wing conservative anti sort of like ethnic studies realm. But there's a whole young group of Armenian American. Now, what has been shoved into the ethnic studies curriculum? I I haven't looked at it very closely to see if it would be it isn't a part of the ethnic studies struggle, right? And that's kind of like the issue is which groups have for 50 years 
been a part of this, like since you were saying the TWLF strike, right? And we know that the Armenian Americans are not, but there's a whole argument of why they should, but I'm not promoting one way or the other. I've just like barely like barely learning about that struggle recently. But as far as like the Arab American, they do fit under Asian American and the Asian American studies at the Cal States have, have said they've been, they've discussed this like in these recent times because of this issue and have said, yes, they do belong under Asian American. So it isn't like a separate, it is under that umbrella with Pacific Islanders. So it's the largest, like when you look at like the world, it really spans like the largest like area of the world. Okay, well that that definitely answers that question. I'm sorry. Can I add something to it? I mean, I think two, two things. One, it's it's political. It's all Sacramento people. It's politics. Like, what can we move? Look at this. There's a fire over here. The Armenian crisis with Turkey. Uh, Armenians are on the map. I, I don't know. I, I think it has something to do with that. You know, my studies were in rhetoric. So we always look at opportune moment, moments. People take advantage of opportunities. And, you know, if the Armenia, if Armenia wasn't at war right now, I kind of doubt it that the Jewish caucus would be using them to leverage. I think the thing they have in common, which is interesting what Lupe says, is that there's a right-wing tradition there. And the second thing I want to say is, speaking of traditions, I think we need to rethink the ethnic studies tradition. I always have problems with saying ethnic studies started at San Francisco State. Yes, all uh, respect to, to San Francisco State. You know, Berkeley, Berkeley's third world strike began out of solidarity with San Francisco State. But see, I, I don't see Berkeley as the, as the foundation of, let's say, Chicano studies. So I think there's also, and I think Chicanos, we need to do this more. We need to step away from San Francisco State for a minute and say, you know what? We, we also have our own originary um, story as Chicano studies. And it's not at San Francisco State. If you want to get chronological, We'll go to um, the East LA walkouts. And then now that we're really embracing indigenous epistemology, we're going to go back thousands of years, even before the 500-year centennial. But back to California, I mean, we have to understand that the four disciplines, Black, Chicano, Asian American, and Native American studies, that those four fields are, are their own fields, you know? There are places where there's only a Chicano studies department. There are places where there's only a black studies department, you know, so e each discipline has to be recognized and it's going to sound strange, but the Chicano pop-up book um, has launched a campaign to emphasize just Chicano studies because we're, we're, we're being distracted. We're being pulled away from the center by these other little fires my studies at, at Riverside were also on Chicano studies epistemology. That was one of my areas. And the principles, we have to look at, at what our principles were. You know, a Chicano history that broke from the, the U.S. exceptionalism, the community, ties to the community, self-determination, the role of the student, a Chicana queer decolonial imaginary. Th these are things that are unique to our field. Are they happening in the other ethnic studies disciplines? Yes, to their own extent and with their own experiences. But Chicano studies is a rich tradition, and we need to not only reown it, I think everybody needs to like restudy it 
sometimes and and, and um, I'll go out on a limb and say, you know, some of our uh, Chicana feminist sisters, not all of them, I'm not going to generalize, but sometimes there's a tendency to, to dismiss and and discard El Plan de Santa Barbara. How can you do that? You can't say it was just written by men because it wasn't. But, you know, feminism had not taken off at that time. But in the Plan de Santa Barbara, we find some of our original principles that we need to revisit and, and understand that it's it's a unique way that Chicanos created knowledge. It's a unique, um, you know, an important epistemological tradition that's ours and nobody else's. You know, only we can claim our own traditions and and I really want to point out self-determination. We need to understand what that means. I was reading a Todd's book last night, and, and I love those, you know, decolonial uh, principles that you outlined early on, self-determination being one of them. And you know what? Self-determination and decolonization, there's not a, a definition in, in any kind of, of dictionary anywhere that spells it out perfectly because our decolonization as Chicanos is unique and no one can tell us who the experts are. We're our own experts on Chicano decolonization and we need to start spelling that out because in this struggle, that, that's, a, that, that's what we're going to need to use to confront the conservative groups in power like the California Jewish Caucus. We need to be able to say, you know what? Uh, self-determination is how we created Chicano studies and that means you have no business in the room telling us what ethnic studies is because you weren't there. Our people were there. You know? That's what's up. That's what's up, bro. That's what's up. Sean, I know you've been you. I know you got something good to add to that. Before I forget it, I did write it down. But you, you spoke earlier, uh, Brother Todd, about it's crazy that they eliminated us. And, and that is that is very intentional. Right. Uh, because we were a threat. And the same thing is happening now. We have to be real with ourselves, right? California, within the last uh, seven to 10 years, has become a brown majority state. Our schools, public schools, we are 54.1% of the state population, right? Of the public school population. And so those are things that we have to be real with in those numbers, right? How come this group, how come our group, particularly Chicanos, uh, are, are not uh, leading this effort, right? We have folks like Lupe that are leading this, this effort, but they're being stymied, right, by the state. We're being blocked by the state. And it is because we are a demographic threat, right? They do not want us to have self-determination. They, want, they do not want us to practice self-determination. And another thing, we have a very, like uh, Brother Elias was talking about, we have a very distinct history with the United States, unlike any other group, right? That history has to be acknowledged. And we see manifestations of that history and the impact of that history in our current reality today, right? Why are brown folks, what people often refer to as Latinas, Latinos, why are brown folks and more uh, appointed, why, why do Chicanos, Chicanas have the lowest educational attainment of any racial ethnic group in the United States? Why do we have the biggest, the largest push-out rights, rate, rates? Why do Chicanas, Latinas have a, the lowest earning power compared to white men out of any racial ethnic group breaking down gender? Another indicator, 
why are we overrepresented in the prison system and underrepresented in, in, in higher education? And it's on purpose because we are still subjects of colonization and we can't forget that. And we do, we really represent a demographic threat. That is why they're not letting us take control of this. And we really need to grasp that and come to a full understanding of that. And it's further illustration, it's further proof that we are racialized. We are a minoritized, we are a colonized uh, peoples, right? And until we come to terms with that and, and, and teach that in the schools, teach that in the K-12 system, you know, develop that conciencia, that historical memory, we're not going to be able to take control of these efforts, right? And practice that self-determination. Ethnic studies is about racialized people. Armenians, maybe within a global context, Jews within a global context and with we can't we can't deny right there's a lot of anti-semitism but that is not what this is they are not a racialized uh, a colonized minoritized people okay how much more proof do we need how much more academic rationale do we need to push uh, these efforts forward and, and specifically in the interest and with the focus in centering the Brown experience, right? Here, here in California and throughout the Southwest, so. So there's a clear difference between ethnic studies and Chicano studies. Should we be pushing for Chicano studies? Should that be our call? We should be pushing for Chicano studies and, and there is. And so, Elias, I'm glad that you made that point because there are distinct, like he was saying, distinct departments, which is why I was saying we defer to Asian American, right? Like the Asian American said, yes, Arab belong there. And so we stood in solidarity with them. But yes, we should be pushing for uh, Chicano Chicano studies. Um, I was really happy um, to be the co-chair of the Chicano Moratorium Committee, the 50-year anniversary committee, um, because I do see that um, there is a huge resistance towards being Chicana, Chicanos, like anything but Chicano, right? Like to this day, anything but Mexican to this day, even within brown folks, right? Like you see that anything but Mexican. And so, um, yeah, I think we do need to push for it. I think that because um, our youth haven't... Um, you know, been exposed to it, because even though we have these wins, like LAUSD passing the grad requirement in 2014, the reality is, is this year, they had to go back to the board to put them back in compliance. And so we were supposed to last year already have our first graduating class, where everyone will have taken an ethnic studies course. But the reality is, is that never was enforced. So that's what we're seeing. Um, you know, overall, so our youth need to take these courses because we know like what happened with with the MAS program, that they will go to college and they will major in Chicana Chicano studies. And then and then we'll have good critical youth to come back and be teachers. If not, you know, then then we really need to figure out what we're going to do, because there's a whole lot of teachers out there right now that think that they're ready to teach ethnic studies. And they're not they're not equipped to teach it because they, they, you know, the self-determination, the colonization element, they're not aware of, of the real impact of that. They haven't studied it, right? So they're going to resort to what's easy, what's accepted, what's not going to put them on the radar. And that's going to be the foods, heroes, and holidays, um, you know, the feel-good sort of way of teaching. And then that's not acceptable because that's not going to cause lasting change that we really are looking for. But yeah, absolutely. Chicana, Chicano studies is something that, that we need to be pushing for. And the day that we had August 29, 2020, 
It was a beautiful day to be out there, to see elders yelling Chicana power, Chicano power, and to see youth, right? It was like, because you hear all this Latinx, Latinx, right? I don't hate the people that are Latinx, but I hate that word. I hate Latinx, not because of the X, but the Latin yeah, part of it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I don't, the X doesn't bother me. It does bother some folks, but I'm cool with Chicanex. I'm all right with that. I'm a Chicana. And I'm cool with like us, we're Chicanx, you know, um, but we do need to be pushing for that because that there is a demographic imperative that um, is calling on us as our duty to provide that for our youth. And that includes our Central American uh, relatives as well and their histories and their oppressions and really fighting against, you know, the anti-Indigenous within our communities, the anti-Blackness within our communities and the, the very like nationalistic sentiments that oftentimes prevent us from coming together to fight against really that common oppression, right? The oppression of colonization, the oppression of all the, the various isms. So yeah, that's, that's actually the, the goal is Chicana Chicano studies, for sure. What I want to delve, delve into is how would that help the listeners understand how would ethnic studies be implemented? What would be on a year course? What would be the focus? Is it one semester for African-American studies, one semester for Chicano studies, one semester for Asian studies? Yeah. How does that go about? So the, the way that um, AB331 was written is it would only be one semester, right? So it's not enough. It would be any of the, um, the four racialized ethnic groups that have been approved um, preferably like by the um, the UCOP process, right? So that they can be like transferable credits. But what I see happening is more towards the push to the survey course, which the survey course, it's not effective because you don't go deep enough, right? On any of the four groups. So that survey course is like where you do a unit of each, right? And then a unit of self, which is, is great because it's like a kind of like a, an intro to each but you're not going to go deep enough because it's your it's not enough so that's really what it looks like so even ab331 isn't enough yeah i'm currently teaching that survey course uh, yeah. it's not enough time but what i can say you know we're just finishing up our our, our world war ii zoot suit pachuca pachuca unit when we teach our histories right one of the misconceptions is that well they're just teaching chicago studies they don't teach about anybody else our histories as racialized peoples are inextricably linked. For example, right, we, we're, talk, we're talking about Pachucas, we're talking about the Zutsu there, you know, you, we can't deny the, the, the black influence on uh, Chicana, Chicana popular culture at the time. But we also can't deny the solidarity, right, in, in protecting, our, protecting our communities, organized efforts between black and brown youth of the 40s, right? In, in defending ourselves from, uh, uh, you know, the, the outright siege of the U.S. military in our communities. And so what can we learn from that? Those are historical examples. What can we take from that and apply today? And the students clearly see that, right? And they see those, those connections and they see that the, the importance of that solidarity. So again, when we teach uh, uh, next studies, those histories are inextricably linked, right? Even the Jewish community, we, we honor the radical Jewish left tradition, right? Who led the efforts in the, in the Sleepy Lagoon case? You know, Alice Greenfield McGrath, a Jewish communist here in Los Angeles. So no, those histories are so important to honor. 
the attorneys for the Mendez versus Westminster case, Jewish Americans, radical leftist Jewish Americans. And so for anybody to say, you know, we're, we're excluding anybody's, uh, you know, that it, the curriculum is, is, is uh, nationalistic, anti-Black, anti, you know, anti-Semitic, you know, that, that term that's being so loosely uh, thrown at uh, the ethnic studies uh, uh, practitioners right now, is this false? totally false, uh, a false narrative. So we're here to undo that historical distortion and also to inform and inspire our youth. You know, these are the possibilities. And those are some possibilities that are actually happening right now between black and brown communities. So I want to add something. Rasa Studies Now conferences in the early years, I remember a, a teacher from Salinas and also Cathy de los Rios brought in uh, she formally presented the idea of localizing your Chicano studies program or your ethnic studies program. And, and that, that became a principle of Raza Studies Now. And we put it in a, in a manifesto, the Plan de Los Angeles, which uh, Lupe and I have been like carrying around in the satchels. It's all tattered and worn. And there's talk of bringing it back. So the Plan de Los Angeles was a pro-Chicano studies and slash ethnic studies. We were being very flexible and versatile because the times called for it. But I just want to add that the implementation is always going to have an isolated and, and a local flavor. It's going to be localized. Chicano studies in Salinas, for instance, I remember Ana Barrera, she's the one, she attended one of the first ones. She goes, we have tension between two groups, Chicanos and Mexicans. People think that's the same group in LA, but in Salinas, that was a group, the immigrant kids and, and the US born Chicano kids, you know, fighting, the, the Cholos are fighting, et cetera. In LA itself, you, you have an array of localized ethnic studies programs. The program at, the Chicano literature program at Santa Monica High School, completely different from the Black and Chicano Studies class in, in, uh, that Ron Espiritu was teaching in South, South LA, South Central LA. Different, it's going to be different in East LA, in the Valley, et cetera. So there, there's an isolated aspect. You know, uh, you need to fight like hell in your own area. But I think that we need to bring the Plan de Los Angeles back. There needs to be a kind of Plan de Santa Barbara for our times. If we're going to be uh, a force, uh, a Chicano force in California in these times, we need something that unifies our principles. And I think El Plan de Los Angeles was a very idealistic manifesto, but it was very rich. It had some great starting principles that we can still add to. And I love the whole idea of Chicano with the X, because as our generation has, has played with it and defined it, it's less about, you know, you, you have to be from Mexico. And actually, you can't be from Mexico. You have to be born in the States, you know, like, no, you know, let, let's loosen that restriction and make it more about like what, what Chicano culture is. It's the, the brown. Yes, it's very Mexican influence. It's got deep Mexican and even more indigenous roots in the Southwest. But you know, my DNA isn't from the Southwest. It's from the Chichimeca, the Eastern Chichimeca territories of Central Mexico. And Salvadoran, Honduran kids are increasingly 
becoming Chicanoized. So we need to really open up the door to the to Central America, to Mesoamerica, and maybe even the, just the Americas. You know, in my past, I met uh, white kids. I've met uh, black kids that identify as Chicanos. My friend Ana Cubas, who worked in politics, by ethnic uh, Salvadoran and Mexican, she identified as Chicana, not as a racial term, but as a almost like a spiritual ideological term. And so we need to formalize that, you know, and and something like a Plan de los Angeles, because people need to go somewhere. They, they need to be able to go to a text or to something and say, look, well, it says here that this is what a Chicano is. This, this is what Chicano studies is in the 21st century. So, so we need to understand that we have localized struggles, but I think we also need to start taking our, our manifestos seriously, our sacred texts. That's all we have for today. I want to thank you for listening to the second part of this very important conversation. We hope to bring more just like this to you as we explore the political life of the Chicana OX community. We will finish up this conversation in our next segment. Until then, stay safe and give us a like on our Reality Dysfunction Facebook page and follow us on our Podbean profile.